The following audio content is a talk from Tuesday Evening Worship, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash young adults. In the midst of everything that's going on, the time, the season in which there's so much that is circulating around, there's a lot of noise, there's a, there's a lot of thoughts about the holidays. What is it that we can affirm as followers of Jesus during this time? As we wait, we look forward to Christmas. What are just a couple of things that we can we can say? No, this is what Christmas is about. Whatever else you want to say. Well, you heard from Amber, who is ministry coordinator with Young Adults, uh, a few weeks ago, and tonight you get the great privilege of hearing from Thad. Thad is our intern. Uh, and Thad, if you want to come on up, he is our intern, and uh, he has been doing a phenomenal job behind the scenes. And tonight uh, you get the privilege, and I get the privilege of being able to hear him um, from up front. So uh, if you will join me in in praying for Thad, uh, we will continue on in our worship. Lord, thank you. Um, Thank you for Thad. Thank you that you brought him to be a part of this community to serve it. Lord, I thank you for the way that he has uh, served us, served me, served Amber, served this whole community behind the scenes week week in, week out. Lord, I thank you for the word that you laid upon his heart, your word of uh, hope. As we think about Christmas, Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts to hear what you have uh, to say to us through that. Lord, I thank you for him and ask for your blessing upon him as he shares with us tonight. In your name, amen. So my name's Thad. Uh, it's with an H. A lot of people call me Tad, but it actually is Thad. Uh, I am your intern here. Uh, and quite often I get asked, what do I do as an intern? Uh, a lot of what you see on Tuesday nights uh, is kind of my bit. Uh, I come in on Tuesday afternoons. I work on getting this stuff up, setting up chairs, getting the tables together. Uh, it's kind of my uh, average Tuesday. So that's what I spent earlier today while you guys are at work. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, and then throughout the rest of my week, I spend time uh, learning from John on uh, what it is to uh, really be stepping up in a role of leadership within a ministry and from Amber on uh, leading a mission trip and how to plan one of those and all the work that goes in ahead of it. Uh, so, and I'm stepping out in some of that role in our trip to Haiti later this year. Uh, another part of my job, which is really my favorite part, is really meeting one-on-one with uh, different people from the community and really finding out what gets you excited, what makes you tick, where you're at in your faith, just those kind of things. Uh, but then I also get to do really immature things uh, with my internship, which is kind of a bonus. Uh, and one of those things is called January. You've seen the uh, slides uh, as you've come in before of mustaches, of great goatees, of different things. Uh, and this... January, or January, as we're calling it, uh, I'm inviting all you men to uh, join me and some of the other guys in a great tradition that uh, I first encountered my freshman year in college when I think I had about three facial hairs that I could grow um, to uh, bring into the convergence community. So basically what the goal is, is for all of us to grow out that facial hair and just to look scruffy together. And I know there's some of you saying, Lynn, I got this, I got this boss. He's totally anal about me being clean-shaven or looking good. And that's all right. I got you covered. You've got Christmas coming up, and he's probably going to take a vacation. So you start at Christmas, you let it grow out a little bit, and then you just trim it down. Maybe just go with a little goatee, some mutton chops, whatever it might be. Maybe you want to be bold and rock the mustache. I'm all for it. And then there's somebody that are probably saying, you know, I don't grow much facial hair. You know, I'm like the president of that club. I will go the entire month, and you'll be like, dude, what's wrong with your face? And I could not look more white trash if I tried with my facial hair. It comes in, but it's so random. There's nothing that I can actually do to look good with it. So I would invite all of you guys, especially 
just to let it go, just to let it grow out. Maybe you want to go with the Fu Manchu, the Abe Lincoln, and adorn yourself with the top hat. I don't know what this bottom one is, but it's just awesome. Just the standard goatee or the full mutton chops. Whatever it might be, I'd just express how much I'd love to see you get into this and just have fun with it. (laughs) It's true. Jim does grow more facial hair in a day than I have in my life. Uh, So as we get going tonight, how many of you guys have ever had an experience just so full of joy, so full of happiness, so full of hope? You've had a happy dance. Come on, I know some people have had... Yes, thank you. There we go. Well, a couple years back, I had one of these moments. I was working at a hotel in downtown Seattle. Uh, pretty nice place. Really enjoyed my work. Got to drive some sweet cars at a val- as a valet. Got to meet a bunch of professional athletes, different celebrities and uh, athletes. And it was just awesome. Really loved it. With the exception of one guy, who was my boss. He was totally the boss from office space. Yeah, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. That guy doesn't listen to anything you have to say. Really micromanaged, did the whole bit. So one day our elevator breaks in the hotel, and I'm taking bags, and I'm running them up the stairs, taking three or four bags at a time, going just dripping sweat, 45 degrees, like 110 degrees in the stairwell. My shirt comes undone. My tie gets a little loose. And, you know, I've been working hard. It's understandable. My boss pulls me into his office and says, hey, Thad, can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, sure, what's up? You know, I just I noticed that your tie was undone, your shirt was out. I'm like, oh, sorry, I've been running up and down the stairs doing this. But oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. But I just noticed that your shirt's undone, and I I really need you to uh, tuck that in. And I'm like, sorry, I was up and down the stairs running bags, things over my shoulder. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. Just make sure your shirt's tucked in, your tie's right. Or I'm gonna have to uh, maybe write you up, take some discipline action. I'm just like, are you kidding me? And so I go about my job. And I'm just like, ah, I can't wait till this guy leaves every day. Um, it's about two weeks later, I'm helping a guy get his bags out of his trunk. And I bring him into the front desk, set him there, give him his valet ticket, and I walk back out to the curb to uh, get the car. And here he is. Going, Excuse me, Thad, can, can I get a minute? And I'm just like, okay, uh, what did you need? He's like, oh, um, well, I just I wanted to inform you that there are going to be some changes here at the hotel, some that might affect you. I'm just like, okay. He's like, uh, you know, with the new management, things are changing. We're kind of going in a different direction. I'm like, all right, I'm just thinking, like, what did I do to screw up to get fired at this point? And he just looks at me, and he's like, uh, it might be kind of hard for you to take, but um, they've actually asked me to move on, uh, to uh, end my time here. <laughs> and so I do what I just did there. I pause, and I just look down and try to make sure I don't jump out of my skin. I'm so excited. And I look up, and I'm like, well, are, are you going to be okay with your family? Are you going to have a job? He's like, oh, no, I, we've got plenty of my mo- money, and my wife really brings in the bank, and I'm like, all right. I'm like, I- I'm glad I've gotten the chance to work with you and learned a lot from you. And he's like, oh, thank you. And he's like, oh, if you ever want, here's my uh, work or my home phone number if you need to call me to ask me how to do things at the hotel. And I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> so I take the car keys and I go over the car and I start it up. And to Valley Park the car, I've got to go around an entire block of one-way streets. And I kind of go down and I come down the end of the block and I make my right-hand turn, which I always do. And I'm sitting there, and there's another light here, and there's like a parking lane. And I just have to pull the car over. And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> and I sit there for a moment. I go, no, that wasn't good enough. So I pull the e-brake up, and I literally get out of the car. I'm just coming out, I'm like, yes, yes. And I come up to some guy in the street, I hug him, and I literally like, 
pick him up, and I'm jumping up and down. I come back to the curb, and he's like looking at me like, I'm going to call the police. I just got mugged. I'm just excited. I'm just hugging this guy. And I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. And I start doing a little bit of this. And I'm pretty sure I add in the lane, the thumbs and kicks and that kind of stuff. And it was just kind of ridiculous. But it was just the hope that I had inside of me of the new manager that was going to come in, who was actually going to listen to why my shirt was untucked and not write me up because I'm busting my butt up down the stairs, which is great. The hope for a change that was going to come within the hotel management, which is great. But before I get any further into uh, jumping up and down and hugging Brent here, uh, I just want to lead us in prayer really quick as we uh, get into the text. Dear Holy Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for bringing uh, each and every person here tonight. Thank you for uh, bringing them through their weeks and uh, just providing them the time and energy to come and uh, spend some time with you, Lord, here tonight. I would just ask that uh, you would speak through me, Lord. Let your uh, words ring through and just open the uh, eyes and ears and hearts and minds of everyone in this room, myself included, Lord. I ask this in your name. Amen. So tonight we're going to look at hope and the hope that uh, Christ brings through his birth and then through his life. And as we all know, Mary, mother of Jesus, had him. Uh, But let's take a look at just the things happening before this. Uh, in Jerusalem, you had a governor, Herod, Herod the Great. He was appointed by the Roman government to sit there and rule. From an outside perspective of Rome, Herod may have looked like a pretty good guy. He was pretty smart, pretty cunning man. And during his time as king or ruler there in Jerusalem, he more than doubled the size of the city, larger than what both uh, Samuel and David did when they were king of Jerusalem. Uh, just He really kind of had it going on, in a way, from the outside perspective. But once you actually lived in Jerusalem, you really felt who he was. He was a ruthless man. People lived in fear of him. He was known for his repressive policies and just his outbursts of rage. He would just go off on people. He lived in a state of paranoia, just of always thinking, oh, this person here and that person there are going to go back in this corner and plot of somehow undermining me or this guy over here or my son here. It got to the point where he was so paranoid. He was so just going nuts. If she had each one of his sons, all three of them, executed. Just a total nut job. After he found out that uh, Christ was born um, from the three wise men, he actually had each and every one of the children under two murdered in Jerusalem. This man, he was high, he was mighty, he was proud, he was arrogant. He was everything you don't want a ruler to be. He walked on people to get where he needed to be. Whereas Mary, on the flip side, was the complete opposite. Not a thing in common with him. She was a girl getting walked on by Herod. She was down in the mud. Nothing like that. Even by her own family, she was looked down upon as the least. She was just a humble and faithful servant of God that got walked on by other people. But because she was a humble and faithful servant of God, an angel of the Lord came to her, speaking to her, saying, you are going to have a child. You are going to have the son of God. And she responds, but but I'm a virgin. I'm not married yet. And he goes, the Holy Spirit will come into you and conceive you a child. And his name will be Jesus. And from this, Mary does her own version of a happy dance, except for it comes in the form of a song. And it's uh, out of uh, Luke. Luke chapter 1, and it's going to be 46 through 56. And I've kind of broken it up. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
Mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. You can see here, she is just so grateful of this blessing that she has had bestowed upon her. Her entire body is singing with joy and praise and thanksgiving. And she acknowledges in this just what God has done, his ability, his power, and his might. And then he even she goes as far as to acknowledge the scripture from the Old Testament, uh, from Isaiah 7.14. Uh, one more. Which reads, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. She's been hearing this uh, majority of her life. She's heard the different prophecies of Christ being born. And she's been blessed with the honor of being the mother of this child. She recognizes she's been humble her life. She's been walked on. And now God is honoring her by giving her the privilege of having his son. And then we go to the second part of this, which is really the interesting part, the really powerful part here. If you want to uh, click over to that really quick, that'd be great. He has brought down the rulers from their high thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our father. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then returned home. Here you can see just how happy she is and just the praise she's giving to God for the power that he has to bring up the low, the meager, to bring them up into a place of just being glorified, to being, hey, you've got it going on. You were last, but now you're first. And if you read it in the message, uh, which I'm a fan of, just it's easier for me to read. Uh, it really, I don't know, it helps me understand it. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor were sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraces his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham right up till now. And Elizabeth, and Mary stayed with Elizabeth before going home. In this, you can just see the power that it has, the power that she's proclaiming in God, the power that she's proclaiming in Jesus Christ and him coming. And she just knows this, and she's just so happy. And when you look at Herod and his environment that he's created, he's created a dark, oppressive, cruel environment, just a horrible situation. He's basically built these walls around the city that are based on fear and paranoia, on this dark, oppressive oppressive, cruel environment that he's created. And this song that Mary sings is like a wrecking ball. It comes right in, and it knocks this wall right down. It gives hope to each and every one of these people for a chance for things to get better. The fact that this verse, this song that Mary sings, has actually been banned in countries. In Guatemala in the 80s, Argentina in the 70s, multiple countries throughout Central and South America, and places in Africa. Because it brings such a hope not just a hope of, oh, things are going to get better in time, but a hope that leads to action, a hope that leads to change, a hope that leaves you wanting, man, this is going to be great when it comes. And this is the hope that Mary's portraying in her song that she sings of just how great this is going to be. Because she knows that Jesus Christ brings a redemptive hope that leads to action and restoration. And this is why there's so much fear from political leaders that when this song is sung in a choir or read aloud, that things are going to change, that they're going to lose their power, that people are going to come up in an uprising looking for this change. So as I looked at this, there are really, I don't know, there's two types of hope out there. There's hope that leads to action, which Jesus brings. 
But then there's hope that's found in complacency. That doesn't lead to anything. And I found a, one of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. came out in the mid-90s. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. It's about a guy named Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, who uh, was wrongly, wrongfully imprisoned for killing his wife. He goes to prison, and he just hates it. He hates it with everything in him. As the movie goes on, he gains favor with the guards and the warden for his ability to do their taxes and things with money. And he goes about uh, and just becomes friends with them. And where we're going to pick up the movie is Andy has just uh, been left in the warden's office with the record player and a pile of records. And he puts it on. And the entire, he flips it on, the entire prison can hear it. And it just, for this one moment, gives everyone a glimpse of hope, a glimpse of light from their everyday life in prison. So if you want to throw that up really quick. Yeah. Couldn't play something good, huh? Hank Williams or something? He broke the door down before I could take requests. Was it worth it? <laughs> Two weeks in the hole? Easiest time I ever did. Oh, shit. No such thing as easy time in the hole. That's right. A week in the hole is like a year. Damn straight. I am Mr. Mozart to keep me company. <laughs> so they let you tote that record player down there, huh? He's in here. In here. That's the beauty of music, big can't get that for you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? Well, I played the main harmonica as a younger man. Lost interest in it, though. Didn't make much sense in here. Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget? Forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's a, there's something inside that they can't get to, that they, they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. Like Brooks did. All right. So here you can see the two characters. You have Red, who is, he has this hope that someday he'll get out of prison. But it's really a hope found in complacency. He's comfortable there in prison. He's adjusted. You could even say he's content with where he's at in life. Later on in the film, they talk about being institutionalized. How at first you come into this prison and you hate these walls. You hate them with every bone in your body. And then as time goes on, you kind of get used to them. You kind of, no, I don't really notice it there. I'm kind of used to my everyday life that I'm going through there. And then more time passes, and you need them. You need those walls. You've become so accustomed to the horrible things that are happening in that prison that that's all you know. And if you were to leave that, it would you wouldn't know what to do. And then you look at Andy, and he's anything but content. He's the exact opposite of Red in this film. His hope is going to lead to action. He believes that this situation can still be redeemed. He can still believes that there's restoration that's going to be found here. He's anything but institutionalized. 
A great example of the situation that we're at is in is in John chapter 5. Here we find a man who's been laying by a pool for 38 years. It's believed at the time that this pool, each morning, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the pool. And the first man or woman to get down into the pool would be healed. This gentleman has been sitting here for 38 years. And Jesus finds him, walks by, and basically looks down and goes, do you want to be healed? And the man doesn't immediately say, yes, I want to be healed. I want to be normal again. I want to be able to use my legs. I've been here for 38 years. No, he offers up an excuse. He goes, well, sir, I've tried to make it down to the pool, but someone else always beats me to it. Before Jesus was there, there was probably a bit of fear of failure for him. What if he makes it down to the pool first? What if he gets in there and he's not healed? The little bit of hope that he was holding on to for those 38 years is now crushed. But now Jesus comes. And there's a whole different set here. There's a fear of success. Because right now, he doesn't have to work. He doesn't have to find his own food. He's got no responsibilities. There's no expectations placed on him from anyone in the community. People come to him, bring him food. They take care of him. This guy, yeah, he sits around all day. But I have a couple friends who live in Atlanta who make a day out of just sitting out by their pool, just sitting out there in the sun, doing nothing. They find it relaxing. And I'm sure this guy found some relaxation and just kind of hanging out there. And so when Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be, do you want to be healed? And it's just, that's so hard for him. He's got to work now. He's got to find food. He's got to manage his money. He's got to give back to society. He's got to have responsibilities. There are expectations placed on everyone in his life. In a way, him being healed could ruin his day. And Jesus looks at him and says, you pick up your mat and you walk. And it wasn't easy for him, I'm sure. After 38 years, the muscle atrophy in his legs had to leave him with nothing there. The stiffness in his joints had to be horribly painful for him to get up and walk. But he gets up and he does it. He gets through the stiffness and the pain and goes through. Because he has this hope that things are going to get better. Because Jesus has redeemed it. And now for us in our life, what is our mat? What is the baggage that we have? What are the things in our life that we're hopeful for that Jesus can redeem? Is it depression, anxiety, apathy, busyness, fear? What are these things? What are the things that we've become so accustomed to, come institutionalized, like red, that we don't know how to act without them in our lives? For me, it was heartbreak. Absolute heartbreak, to the point where I couldn't trust another person. There was no chance I was going to let somebody in to know who I really was. It was just, I had built this wall around my heart, and nobody was getting in there. And as I got through college, I had a couple of friends come by, just continue to want to get to know me, to want to get to know who I was inside. And as they did, I slowly opened up. And I slowly became great friends with them. And as life continued on, it got to the point where there were a couple people that knew me for who I truly was, but not a lot. And it was holding me back from actually stepping out in faith, knowing that people aren't going to just throw me under the bus, that I can trust them, that they do have my best wishes in mind. And it was one of the hardest things for me. But the thing is, one of my friends came up to me and said, you know, as you do this, you're either going to succeed spectacular or fail spectacularly. Because you're going to go into this with every ounce of energy you have. You're going to go into it with us behind you, with God having your back, and you're going to go through everything. Because we've been called to action. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Peter, one of uh, Jesus' disciples. This guy, he was quick to act in any situation. One day, all the disciples are out in a boat in the lake, and Jesus is walking towards them. 
walking on the water. And they called him, who is that? And Jesus answers, it is I, Jesus. Come to me. And the first thing Peter does, he is out of that boat in an instant. And then he is walking on water. And he's stepping towards Christ, walking there. And then he looks down and he starts to sink. He immediately calls for Jesus to come and help him, pull him out of the water, and he does. Jesus comes alongside and pulls him up and redeems that hope that he had. And what it is in our life that we need to identify? What do we need to bring to God, bring to our community, go to God in prayer about? Where do we need to step out into this action? Where do we need to really fully realize where these walls are? Where have we become institutionalized in our life? Where can we, stepping out, be a wrecking ball? Mary's song that we looked at earlier really put a hole in the wall of Herod and other leaders for people really stepping out. Jesus knocks the whole wall down. He comes right alongside you and gets into the business with you and walks with you. At the end of the movie, you see uh, Andy and Red sitting in the prison walls. Andy's just lost his last chance to get out of prison legally. Warden had killed a person that knew exactly what needed to be said to get him out. And Andy sits there. He dreams with Red about going to Mexico, being on the Pacific Ocean, having a own little bed and breakfast, and then taking people out in a yacht day after day to show them the Pacific. And Red again looks at him with no hope and chops his legs right up from under him. says, that's crazy, man. What are you doing? It's going to get you hurt. And as Andy looks back at him, he gets up. And he starts to walk away, saying, well, I guess I have one choice. Get busy living or get busy dying. And that's really our choice. Are we going to get busy living in Christ, living out in the hope that he's given us, or not do anything at all and just die within these walls that we've built for ourselves? Where do we need to get busy in our lives with God? Where do we need to go to our community and confess, I'm struggling with this. Nobody knows who I am here. I need the hope of Christ to come in. Where do we need to do the hard work of getting up after 38 years to straighten these joints and go? What do we need to do to experience the hope that Jesus Christ brings in each and every one of our lives. Dearly Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for bringing uh, each and every one of these people here with us tonight. I would just ask that uh, as they go out into their holiday season, that uh, you would bless them just with times that are refreshing, times that are joyful, times that uh, just give them energy, Lord. Uh, let this be a time of celebration for them, Lord, and looking back to you. I would ask that... Uh, you would help them find the community and find these areas in their lives where they need your hope so desperately, to where they can go and celebrate the way Mary has, Lord. They'll go out and sing a song, to go and maybe go and do their own happy dance, Lord. I would just ask that you would work wonderfully in each and every one of their lives. In your name.